0: Good morning, good morning. I'm glad to see you all here. I got the uh, the old tap on the back this morning off the bench to step up and get in the game here. I'm glad to see you all here. I'm looking out there and I bought a boat last year, uh, probably halfway through the summer that hasn't even been put in the water yet. So I look out there and fantasize about someday putting it in the water. <laughs> but uh, someday. <laughs> You know, um, as I'm up here, I always think about, uh, do you guys remember Pastor Joel? Pastor Joel from Mountain Springs, Calvary Chapel, um, from Calgary. He comes, whenever he comes here, I always love when Pastor Joel comes, because he does this, he gets up here and he does this, you know, greetings. Greetings from Calgary, greetings from Calvary Chapel, Mountain Springs. And um, and I think that's cool, because it makes me feel like I'm in the Bible, right? You know how when you read in the Bible, they always send their greetings, the readers send their greeting to their the people they're writing to. and, and On the coast here, it can sometimes feel like we're a little secluded or whatever, right? You're kind of, you're not an island, but we're an island. (laughs) I hope no one gets troubled by me saying that, but let's be honest, we're kind of an island. Um... So it's cool when Joel comes and he does this greetings thing and, and he says, greetings from Calgary. You know, it's cool to know that there's other believers out there in this big world of ours that are thinking about us and praying about us. And, um, and so I thought, sweet, this is my opportunity to bring, bring greetings to you guys. So I bring greetings to you in the back and to you up there. I bring greetings from right on the little side there. You know, I long someday to come see you guys. But I don't think it's going to happen. I just don't. uh, The Spirit just isn't leading me. I think I'll just stay in my little corner for now. And I'll just bring greetings from up here. (laughs) So greetings. Let's pray this morning as we get into the Word. Lord, thank you for your Word. Thank you for fellow believers in Christ. um, That we can share fellowship, God. I pray that you give me wisdom this morning as I, I speak your Word, Lord. That if there's anything I have here... Uh, that isn't from you, God, that you would just refrain it from coming from my mouth this morning. Uh, And we just offer this time to your hands, and uh, just bless us this morning. Amen. Amen. So this morning, we're going to go through Ephesians. We're going to change it up a little bit. So if you need a Bible, make sure you grab a Bible, and we're going to go to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. And as you all turn there this morning, I need to confess something to you guys. It's a tough confession, but I'm First of all, I just want to confess I'm not always right. <laughs> I know. It's big of me to say that. And and I just want to confess that the last time I was up here, I think I told you guys a stat. I think I didn't go back and double check, but I think I was wrong. I told you guys a stat that uh that if you sit there and listen to what I say, you and don't take any notes, you'll remember 15% of what I say. If you t- it was Come on, man, now you've ruined my j- <laughs> Thanks, Will. <laughs> okay, 5%. You'll remember 5%. Well, then, that, then I wasn't wrong. We found out today I was right. Because I thought I was said 15% last time, but apparently the stat is 5%. So I was right. So I have nothing to confess, apparently. (laughs) 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 But the other thing that I learned, whenever we talk to Andy Imanovich over there, whenever we play music, he always tells me these two things. He always says that there's only two things you really need to do when you play music. And that's get the beginning right and the end right, and no one listens to what you say in the middle. All that rest is just filler. As long as you can nail the beginning and the end, that's all that people care about. So let's start with that, because I want you to remember what I'm going to say here. So I'm going to give it to you right away here. They always say the best way to write a paragraph is to tell them what you're going to say, and then say it, and then tell them what you just said. (laughs) So if you have a Bible, or if you have notes, maybe now's the time to take notes. If you don't have, if you're like me, maybe you don't take notes, because I know some people are great, right? You know those people that have a nice little book, a journal, and they write everything in it, and you're like, oh, I wish I was that. That's not me. So I, in my Bible, I write in the margin, because I know that's the only thing I'm ever going to go back. So if you want to write in your margin this morning, if you don't have a Bible to write in, grab a Bible and write in it, and put your name in it, and take that Bible home with you, so that you can remember more than 5% this morning. So this morning, we're going to walk through Ephesians chapter 1. We're not going to get through it all, so don't worry if you get to start to look at the clock, and you go, wow, he's got a long way to go. This morning, we're going to go through Ephesians 1. And in Ephesians 1, we learn a couple things, a couple major things here. Number one, by the grace of God and sacrifice of Jesus Christ, you are adopted into the heavenly family, and you're called a child of God. And number two, we learn that by being a child of God, you have an inheritance that's just waiting to be used. So let's read it here, just the first couple verses of Ephesians. We start with Paul's greeting. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Ephesians was written by Paul sometime around the era of 60 to 62 AD. And uh, during that time, he was believed to be a prisoner in Rome. He wrote this letter to the church of Ephesus. Um, You know, Ephesus was was actually a, a very dear city to Paul. He spent a lot of time in Ephesus during his, his mission through the Asian area. And um, so Ephesus, which is in the Asian area back then, now is in current day Turkey. Uh, It was a major city during the time of Rome. They actually say next to Rome, it was the second most important city next to Rome itself. And so Paul was in Ephesus quite a bit and he was doing such great work in Ephesus one time that actually a riot broke out. Um, led by a guy named Demetrius, and Demetrius was a silversmither in town, and he was building little trinkets and shrines to the god um, Artemis. And and so so many people that d- while Paul was in Ephesus during this time, so many people were were turning to Christianity that it was costing this guy big business, and and he he led a group of people basically to incite a riot and and just get super angry at Paul and his boys, and it eventually led them to, to move on to the next town. So the book of Ephesians, it isn't written directly to address a problem in Ephesus, like some of these other letters are written to address a problem in the church of that time. It's, it's more just comments on, on themes of Christianity and his encouragement of the people of Ephesus. So let's see what he's got to say, and he doesn't uh, mess around getting right into the good stuff. Let's go start in verse 3 here. You'll notice as we go through the text here, if you're a note taker, that things happen in, in kind of in threes here. So first of all, here's the first three. God, number one, chose us, he adopted us, and he blessed us. Before the foundation of the world began here, we read that God chose us, he sought us out, and he chose us, and, he, and, and what did he choose us to do once he found us? Well, to adopt us. By the saving blood of Christ, we've been adopted into the family of God. He looked upon you and chose you and then adopted you into the family. Keep an eye out this morning as we go through um, the number of times that we read things are done in Christ or through Christ or, you know, things like that. And there'll be a test at the end. So keep track. In love, verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Here we read that that my heavenly name no longer ends in Simpson. I'm now a, a family of God. I'm now a member of the family of God. Isn't that awesome? That we've been sought out, we've been adopted, and I've been blessed. Can you believe that? I've been blessed. Do you know why I would want kids? Let me tell you. It's not so I can bless them. My kids are going to be a blessing to me. They're going to bless me with their lawn mowing skills. <laughs> They're going to bless me with their clothes washing skills, their dishwasher unloading skills. Can you believe that we were sought out by God and then blessed? That doesn't make, you know, that doesn't make sense. Not only, a, not only a promise of blessing to come, but a promise of blessing right this minute. The second you're adopted, you are blessed. Well, what are we blessed with? I'm glad you asked. Verse 3 Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? Blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. When? Right now. Right now. He's blessed us. We've already received our inheritance. Do you see that in there? He's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. But this isn't a blessing of material goods. It's a promise of spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. You know, if I, if I go to my mom and I say, you know, I, I want you to bless me with my inheritance right now. <laughs> give me some of your stuff. Give me some of your goods. I don't want to wait. And my mom, you know, my mom says, oh, well, I'll do you one better. Blessings. Blessings to you. Blessings to you and your children. i would be like, what? What do you get out of here? I don't know. That's not what I want. I want your material goods. You're giving me spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. What, are you, what the heck are you talking about? I'm on earth. That ain't no good to me. Let me tell you another stat. Do you know this one, Will? No, not yet. Okay. <laughs> this is a stat I heard at History Maker about 10 years ago, maybe when I was a youth going to History Maker. And he, the, the, the guy told us this. I can't even remember his name, but it was a great stat. It stuck with me. 10 out of 10 people die. That's a confirmed fact. 10 out of 10 people will die. And you know what? When you do die, your earthly inheritance doesn't get to come with you. The second you put your faith in Christ and you ask him into your heart, you understood that God sought you and chose you and adopted you. And as soon as you ask for the sacrifice of Christ to take your sins away, your riches in heaven are blessed upon you. What are those riches when we get to heaven? Well, I mean... To be honest, I don't really know, but we will find out someday. But even though we may not be in heaven to receive the heavenly blessing yet, we do get some major benefits here on earth that we can take advantage of that we don't even know that we have. Not only is every blessing we receive, received through Christ, But God wants to bless you with every spiritual blessing available. He doesn't just pick and choose a couple that he thinks, oh, this might be good for you. Ah." No, he wants you to take advantage of every spiritual blessing, every good and perfect gift that's available to you through the power of Christ. We're sitting on an unlimited oil supply beneath us that we don't even know about. We just need to drill down and take advantage of right there, of what is right there waiting for us. So what are some of the benefits you might be asking yourself? Boy, that sounds great. I want to take advantage. What are some of the benefits we receive as children of God? Verse seven starts with the list of what we receive as being adopted children of God. Let's read verse seven. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. Verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So here's another set of three for us. We got redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, and he makes known to us the mystery of his will. Number one, redemption of his redemption through his blood. From what I could find in Greek concordances, and maybe we got a couple Greek experts here, the word redemption meaning apolutrosis, meaning buying back from. <laughs> before the it, to mean to buy back from. So before the redeeming blood of Christ, we were slaves to sin. By the death and resurrection of Christ on the cross, by Him taking all the sin of the world upon his back, we were bought back, we were redeemed, we were purchased with a price, and redeemed through the saving work of the blood of Christ. Number two, because we were redeemed through the blood of Christ, we're also forgiven of our trespasses. Jesus Christ on the cross paid a huge price. God lavished all this upon us according to the riches of his grace. You know, God didn't just grab a quarter out of his pocketbook and throw it into the leave a penny, take a penny jar, right? These are the riches of his grace. He reached into his wallet. He pulled out that gold-plated American Express card only reserved for the super rich. That's a thing, apparently. Maybe none of us here, well, maybe some of us here know about it. I don't know. God made a special call to the Bank of Grace, and he talked to the chief chief operating officer of the Bank of Grace and said, hey, listen, there's going to be... A major transaction about to take place here. Don't be alarmed because these are my children though. You don't need to call me and wonder if this was a fraud or anything. I'm, I'm unloading the bank of grace upon these people. The riches of my grace I want to do for my adopted sons and daughters. It doesn't make much sense, does it? It just seems crazy. You know, last week, Matt talked about the mystery of God. He had the idea of the mystery of God and how sometimes things do- God does is just mysterious to us, right? And this just seems mysterious to me. It seems, uh, it seems almost reckless, right? It, like, to my human mind, it's like, God, why would you do this for me? You took the riches of your grace, and you dumped it on me, and it just kept coming, and it just, y- you know, when you're, it's, it's like when you're at those all-you-can-eat buffets, You know, you sit down and you have your plate and maybe you start with the salad. Pro tip, don't eat the salad. That's how they fake fill you up. So you start with the salad and then you go back for more because you want to have some of that hot food and then you have the hot food and then you go, wow, that was just so good. I want some more. So you go back for more and then you start to get full. And then the dessert comes out and the chef brought out some hot apple pie and you go, oh, I love apple pie. I got to go back for some more. So you load that onto your plate and you get full up and then you're just so full and then you look over and they've got the ice cream bar out and there's fresh sprinkles and you just don't know what to where do I put it all you can't fill your pockets with ice cream right you don't know what to do they just keep on bringing food out and you're just getting such value for your money (laughs) why would God unleash all this on me it's like why are you doing this to me this is too much almost it's crazy do you know who I am do you know what I paid for this I paid nothing and there I'm just feeling, I'm going to explode. I'm like a snake. I'm not going to need to eat for another three weeks here. God, you're, you're reckless. You're insane. Just, just stop and think what you're doing here. But thankfully, God has, in verse 8, verse 8 says, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. God has all wisdom and insight. He knows what he's doing for his child. He knows what he's doing for you. He's blessed you with every spiritual blessing. He knew you before the foundations of the world and adopted you. God has all wisdom and insight. He, he ain't no fool. He's not, he's not reckless. He knows what he's doing. Imagine you're going to the racetrack. How many people have been to the racetrack? You don't have to raise your hands. It's okay. You got a, a little extra pocket change, and you thought, I'm going to go make some money here. I'm going to go bet it all on a horse down at the Vancouver, race, Vancouver horse track there. And on the way there, you get a hot tip, right? You get a hot tip. It's been raining all week, and there's guys telling you, you know, this horse, this uh, this horse's name Rocky Road. He loves the mud. He's a mudder, they call him. His mudder was a mudder. He loves to run in the mud. This horse is a lock to win. There's no, no other horse there can win. They can't run in the mud. They all love, they love the hard ground. Rocky Road there, he's a mutter. He loves it. Can't get enough of that mud. They're worried he might just roll around in the mud. He loves it so much. You have all wisdom and insight into knowing this horse is going to win. You're not going to go to the racetrack and say, you know what? No, nah, I'm going to put my money on this other horse. You're going to pick the winner. You know the mutter is a mutter. You want to win. You're going to pick the winner. You're not going to put your money on a different horse. That's ridiculous. You have all wisdom and insight into who's going to win. You pick a winner. And that applies to you. God isn't going to pick a loser. He knows. God knows who he wants. And he wants you. He's chosen you before the foundation of the world. In all wisdom and insight, he's picked a winner. If he picked you, you're a winner. And some of you might be saying, well, maybe he didn't pick. No, he's picked you. (laughs) You just got to run the race and you'll be a winner. Verse 9. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth making known to us the mystery of his will. What was once confusing to us is now revealed to us through Christ, a plan to unite all things in him in heaven and on earth. Again, uh, I mean, it was like I almost wish Matt wouldn't have talked last week because everything he was saying was like, oh, this is what I want to talk about. It's perfect. Last week, Matt talked about the idea of unity versus uniformity. Read it there. All things in heaven and on earth will be united through Christ. Unity, what comes from within, versus uniformity that comes from outside sources. God has a plan to unite all things through Christ. Romans 8:19 to 22 says, "For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of god we know that the whole earth we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time creation longs to be united in christ the mystery of god's will has been revealed to us through christ you know, when I look at brothers or, or sisters or, or siblings of a family, or when you look at families, you can tell that they're kind of related, right? Especially when I go to youth group, when I think of, uh, I mean, Johan and Lucas are just a perfect example. Those two, I look at them and I go, man, you two are brothers to the end. They, they each, you know, e- when you look at siblings, ye- they each have their own personality. They're both, they're both individual, and, and they have their own features, but when you're a- around them long enough, you just go, wow. You two are so much alike. You're definitely brothers, or you're definitely sisters, or, or you're definitely that person's son or daughter, right? The apple does not fall far from the tree. We begin to become alike, but, but at the same time different as the more time we spend around each other. And, and that's what we're like as brothers and sisters in Christ. In unity, in Christ in us, we begin to become alike, we're still different, we're still unique, but people look at us and go, wow, you Christians are so much alike. And what's the common factor among us? Christ in us, right? <coughs> Let's go verse 11 to the end of 14. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things We've obtained an inheritance through Christ. Here's another set of threes for you, telling us that our God is a God of order and not a God of recklessness. Do you see it there in verse 11? The inheritance is, number one, purposeful. It's planned and prepared, and it's acted out. It's worked upon. We've obtained an inheritance. You know what? Like, it, it can still be confusing, right? Like, why did you do this for us, God? I get you're a God of order and, and, and you make all things perfect, but I still don't understand. You, you sought me before the foundations of the earth. With all wisdom, you adopted me. You gave me an inheritance. What do you want from me, right? That's our earthly, I'm still like, well, what do you want from me? I want to do something for you. I just want to help. Verse 12 says, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. When Paul uses we here, he actually means the Jewish people so that the Jewish people who were the first, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, the Jewish people who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Well, I'm not a Jew, so I guess I don't have to praise his glory, right? Well, verse 13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, you being the Gentiles, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. It's the same. Whether Jew or Gentile, it's all about the praise of his glory. In the first few chapters of Ephesians here, if you read through the, if you spoiler alert, go through Ephesians ahead. The first few chapters of Ephesians, Paul wants to make sure that we understand that it isn't about anything that we do or work to be a recipient of God's blessing, to be adopted into God's family. It's just praise His glory. In all you do, in all you receive, in all your life, praise His glory. Here's another set of threes, but this time for us. We're to number one, hear the word of truth. Number two, believe in Him. And number three, be sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. All for what? The praise of his glory. I'm gonna pick and grab it. this whole chapter, I've been struggling to keep it within a certain amount of time because there's just so much here. I could have spent probably an hour just on the first couple verses up top there. So we're just gonna grab a part out of here. And then an awesome part that I just that I saw out of here is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. The Holy Spirit is the stamp marked on your head, just wham, right on your forehead as a guarantee of our inheritance. Jesus paid a price and God put his mark on you, the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us these three things in a specific order. We don't get to be sealed with the Holy Spirit first. That's not how contracts work. You don't get the signatory seal before anything else. But number three is very important. Did you know that you can get stuck at number two? You can be a believing Christian, but not have that stamp of seal on your forehead, guaranteeing your inheritance. Do you want your inheritance to be sealed by the Holy Spirit? In Acts 19, we see Paul come across two Christians who had not yet even realized the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. I'll read it here in Acts 19. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said to them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said to them, To what then were you baptized? And they said, To John's baptism. Then said Paul, John truly baptized the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him with which should come after him, and that is on Christ. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Have you prayed to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? to be baptized in Christ Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit on your life. Don't get stuck at number two because we often can as Christians, you know, we go, oh, well, I was baptized as a baby, so, uh, you know, I'm good, whatever. You're a child of God that has all access to all spiritual blessings on your life. Be sure of your inheritance with the seal of the Holy Spirit upon your life. A couple weeks ago at History Maker, um, a guy named Jefferson Bethke spoke. And he just said this awesome thing that I'm going to try and paraphrase the best I can. It was great. So in life, we have all sorts of contracts and agreements and jobs. And that's pretty much to some of the non-Christians or even to some of us Christians, that's life, just jobs and work and agreements and just slogging through it, right? And when you go to work, for example, you have an agreement with your boss. You know, You, you I'll do this and this, and in return you'll pay me, on time. And if you don't show up for work, or if you don't do your work on time, well what happens? You are fired. Or you got contracts, right? You sign a contract saying, I'll do this or do that, and in return you'll do this or that. And if you don't do your end, or if they don't do their end, then that contract gets void, if you haven't fulfilled your agreement. You don't get to take the car off the lot, before handing over the money and signing the deal, right? And even if you do sign the deal and take the car home, you're still bound by that contract and if you don't pay, make the payments, then the big bad bank comes knocking at your door and they take the car away from you. But there's a couple things in life where deals don't work like that. And one is marriage and the other is a family relationship. You see, when you get married, it isn't a contract where there's stipulations. Praise the Lord. There's no contract in there where it says well you have to wash the dishes four out of seven nights otherwise we're over or you got to make sure you take the garbage out once a week otherwise we're over and yeah (laughs) it's terrible (laughs) if you forget you're screwed (laughs) but that's not how marriage works right when you sign those papers you're married it's not a well you have to do this and you have to do this otherwise otherwise this marriage isn't this isn't together. I, you just are. You are married. Or a family relationship, right? When you're a son or a daughter, you don't get out of that. It isn't just an agreement that you go, well, as my son, you have to get straight A's. Otherwise, you're no longer, you're out on the street, buddy. It's, <laughs> it's not an agreement that you can, you just are a son, or you just are a daughter, or you are a father or a mother, does that make sense to you? I am a son. There isn't any stipulations hinging on me being a son. I can't get out of being a son. I am a son. It's just the state that I am in, and not very coincidentally, what's the most commonly used metaphor in the Bible when talking about his church? The bride of Christ, or the children of God, Right? As children of God, we have access to every spiritual blessing according to the riches of God's grace. Our spiritual blessings are not of earthly desires, but of heavenly purpose so that we may praise his glory. Just because our inheritance is being guarded by the Holy Spirit in heavenly places doesn't mean that we can't take advantage of that right now. We're sitting on a gold mine of life from God that we just don't take advantage of. As a child of God, though this place is a tent compared to the joy to come, God wants me to be blessed right now. If you still don't believe me, well, what do you need? We're going to rip through a couple of these. Do you need strength? Isaiah 40, 31. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Do you need wisdom? James 1.5 says if any of you lacks wisdom you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. Maybe you're sick this morning. James 5.14-15 says if anyone is among you sick let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well the Lord will raise them up if they have sinned they will be forgiven. Maybe you're anxious this morning. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Maybe you have troubles this morning. Everyone's got troubles, right? And Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Matthew 7.9-11 Which of you, if your son asks for a bread, will give him a stone? or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Do this with me. Make sure you got your Bibles. I love this, because this is one of the best things I've learned about doing, um, uh, teaching sermons and stuff, is that when preparing a sermon, I've always thought, boy, what can I give these people on Sunday morning? But it's more about it's more about man, what is God giving me as I'm teaching through this? It's more about I'm learning a lesson this week and I just get to happen to share it with you guys. And I've learned that the the Bible that we read it isn't about just being for my neighbor. It's not about what I can give to you. It's about, it's for me, right? It's personal. It's for me. So we're going to read this again, and we're going to try and read it out loud together. But we're going to replace the words I, no, sorry, we're going to replace the words us or we, the third person words, and we're going to replace them with the words I or me or the proper first person word. It's easier than it sounds. Trust me, I did it pretty quick. You can, your brain will just do it. It's magical how it works. And read it out loud with me, will you? So let's start at at, at verse 1 of Ephesians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to me and peace from God my Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of my Lord Jesus Christ, has blessed me in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose me in him before the foundation of the world, that I should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined me for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which w- with which he has blessed me in the beloved. In him I have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of my trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon me in all wisdom and insight, making known to me the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him I have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, the Jews, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him I also, when I heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of my inheritance until I acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. You see, you are a child of God. You've entered into a contract with the seal of the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of your inheritance. This is the kind of contract that can't be revoked, it can't be exchanged, it can't be returned. There's no return policy on this contract. You, You go to God and you say, sorry buddy, you knew what you were getting into when you adopted me. You have received every spiritual blessing through the blood of Christ according to the riches of his grace. God sought you, he adopted you, and he blessed you. And you know, someday we're all gonna be standing up there in that great lineup in heaven, and I don't know, maybe it's like the passport office, right, where you go in, you talk to the guy, and he gives you a number, and then you go sit, and then you go wait for your number to be called, and you, well, and then you get your number called, and you go, hey, I'm going in, see you later, suckers, and then you go to the next waiting room, and you sit down, and you go, ah, great. It's a tiny little room, and maybe conveniently the air conditioning broke that day, and you're starting to get sweaty and hot, and it's hot and stuffy. And uh, maybe this doesn't happen in God's waiting room, but maybe you never know. Then finally you get up to the counter, and you're like, "Whew! It's been like, feels like it's been six hours here, but it's really only been half an hour." And you you get in there, and you go up and stand in front of God, and you know God looks you up and down, and kind of looks at you, and he goes, "Eh, eh." And he looks over at Jesus standing over there and Jesus gives him you know, just one of these nods. He's with me. And you're good, you're in. Because Jesus sees you, God sees you through Jesus. How many times did you count things being in or through Jesus? I counted 12. You see through Jesus, In verse 4, we are holy and blameless before God. Not by our own doing, but by the blood of Christ. We are not seen, you are not seen in your sinful form. But through Jesus, you are holy and blameless.